0: So welcome to, welcome to Inside Church. And we are continuing on in our um, year long Sunday school series uh, where I tell you a story and then we go back and look at the actual uh, scriptural account of that story and talk about what it means to us. So in today's story, can anybody guess who might be in today's story? Jesus. Jesus. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's always a pretty good guess. You're going to be right most of the time um, when we're doing that. But Jesus was one day, he was headed um, back up from Jerusalem, heading back up towards Galilee, uh, which he kind of was more of his home base. He was only in Jerusalem uh, off and on because he usually got himself in trouble, so he didn't stay there too long. Um, But he's heading back to Galilee and he's got his disciples, they're trailing along. And then all of a sudden, a man comes and meets him that's this guy. And we don't know this guy. All we don't know his name. All we know about this guy is that he was um, a very important person and he was a royal, uh, a royal servant. And he shows up and he says, Hey, Jesus, I've heard some stories about you. And Jesus is like, well, they're probably true. And uh, he goes, I heard that you can heal people. Because as Jesus' ministry was getting going, this wasn't too far into it, the word was starting to spread that Jesus was healing people. And so he said, let me tell you about my son who is back at home. He said, my son is extremely ill. There's the ill son. And although he's ill, man, those, those lips are red. He did not lose the color out of his face. But there's the ill son. And if something didn't happen on behalf of the son, he was gonna die. And so this guy who had much higher position within what the societal ranks of importance and position was, was coming to Jesus and was essentially begging, Jesus, will you please come back with me to my home and heal my boy? And so Jesus looks at him and he basically says to him, your faith is good enough. You can go, go back home. I was probably thinking, wait, what? yeah, just go home. You're not going to come with me. No, just go home. And so the guy out of faith, because he hadn't really seen Jesus do any of these things. He had just heard stories. He decides to go back home. So he heads back home. And when he gets home, guess what? Yay! (laughs) His son was healed. Now, On the spectrum of people that I've met in my life, uh, and I've met quite a few, um, some of the most impressive people that I have ever met are the ones who are the people who believe in spite of their circumstances. And as you think about it, this is probably true for you Um, as well. People who have been going through difficult, difficult circumstances, whether it be, you know, financially just can't seem to get ahead and things just keep hitting and hitting and hitting. Um, Whether it be with health or with family, um, you know, perhaps they're going through a divorce or just something life-changing and kind of shattering. But somehow in the middle of it, their confidence in God never wavers. Have you ever met anybody like that? I, when I come across people like that, I, I, I'm, I'm constantly amazed because even though I'm a professional Christian <laughs> up here, um, when circumstances are continually bad, like things start going on in my mind. Like my faith, it can kind of waver a little bit. And for most of us, that's true. And, and there's this amazing aspect of our faith where our faith is really um, very selfish, because we can hear of like other people going through things and bad things happening all over the place. And our thoughts to that are like, oh man, that's a shame. You know, but when it comes raining down on us, all of a sudden, oh, our faith starts to get a little, because we're, we're selfish like that. And it's okay, own it. That's the only way you'll be able to get past it is owning it. But but no matter what, they still have joy and peace. And and it's unexplainable. And sometimes I meet these people and I wonder if they're just in denial, right? Because you've met those people. Like the world is crashing around them. they're like, what's wrong? There's nothing wrong. Nothing's happening. All's good. You can just go on, leave me alone. Go on your business. There's those people. And sometimes I wonder, but they trust God and their story is inspiring. Or perhaps maybe for some of you, their story is disturbing because you don't just don't understand it. You don't get it. But But for some people, that's why they're followers of Jesus today because they met those types of people and that solid faith within the midst of circumstances, just going out of control really was attractive to them because they wanted to be able to have that. Now, Christianity is not just about believing. There's a, it's one of the things that we really get, um, uh, we really get kind of, messed up in the church. It's like, if you believe the right things, you're good to go, your ticket's punched. It's about believing. Um, And it's not just about blind faith, like buying into this unbelievable story, right? Because if we're honest with ourselves, on the surface of it, Christianity is an unbelievable story. Like we base our entire faith on the resurrection of a man from the dead. Like on the surface, that's absurd, right? And so it's not just blind faith, right? Because, because John and Peter and Bartholomew and all the rest, they didn't just follow Jesus because of blind faith. No, they followed Jesus because of what they actually saw and what they heard him say. And John encouraged his readers to follow Jesus based on what he had seen and experienced. Here's how John does that encouragement. In 1 John 1, he says this, that which was from the beginning, in the beginning, he's not talking about Genesis in the beginning. He's talking about Jesus showing up on the scene in the beginning and making outrageous claims and doing outrageous things. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. And this this is his way of saying, look, after the resurrection happened, like, you know, we may have thought we were losing it, Like we may have thought we were hallucinating. We may have thought we were in so much fear for our life that just our brains were playing tricks on us. But no, we 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 touched the wounds. Like we physically. It said, based on that, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, that the life appeared. And I think think in that phrase, this is kind of John's simple way of, of basically saying, look, I'm a simple man, I'm just a fisherman. Right? And then Jesus came along and everything changed. It was all different. And all I know is this, John would probably tell us, so don't start asking me difficult questions and like poking holes and everything, because this is all I know. As a Jewish boy, I believed in God, Yahweh, the Jewish God. I believed in God, that invisible, mysterious, don't ask too many questions or you're gonna get in trouble. Like, you know, God... Then that mysterious, invisible, don't ask the questions, God, came to earth in the form of a man (laughs) and I met him. And I can't explain it and I know it's unbelievable, but listen, the things we saw, he said, we have seen it and testify to it. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. And John, at the time that he's writing this, he is the last of the group to be alive. The rest of them martyred, gone, right? And he decided he needed to document this story. But the most important thing about John documenting his story is that he wasn't just content to tell his story. He had had an agenda behind it, right? Here's his agenda. John chapter 20, he writes this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, And that believing in him, you may have life in his name. And so John's very clear that by life, he doesn't mean that eternal life. If I can just hold on one day, I'll get to glory by and by and it'll be great. I just got to tolerate this now. No, 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 no. He means eternal life starting here right now in the midst of our life on this earth, this was the eternal life, right? And John lays out the sequence of events kind of that led him to believe this about Jesus. It's why John is one of my favorite books uh, to read through because he just kind of lays out, here's everything that I saw and this is why I believe, right? Jesus had already at this point, he had already shown up at a wedding that apparently had terrible planning because they ran out of wine, which honestly is the most important part of the wedding, right? And his mother asked him to fix it. And he basically looks at her and gives some kind of teenage sass. And he's like, I've I've come to save the world, not weddings. (laughs) No, and then she just "Mm," chuckles and walks away and Jesus fixes it. Like every good son should listen to his mother, right? And then after that, Jesus heads from Galilee and, and, and he heads down to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And like I said, every time he was in Jerusalem, he seemed to be saying things or doing things that got him in trouble. So every time some, he went that direction, all of his disciples that were going with him, all of the people that believed in him, like they were worried Jesus might not come back because could this be the point in, Jer- in Jerusalem when he goes just a little too far and they kill him, right? He was always in danger. There was trouble. And so then, you know, then as he was starting to come back, he stops by a story that we looked at a couple weeks ago. He stops by a well to have a drink. Has this crazy conversation with the woman that was there. Essentially declares for the first time that he is the Messiah, right? And so this is, this is kind of what's, what, what John is looking at as he's watching Jesus lead up to these things. Finally, they're back in Galilee and that's where we pick up our story for today. Here's, here's how John says it happened. Chapter four. Verse 46, once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official, that guy, whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Now, two things are important as we begin this passage, right? First, this official was based in Capernaum, which was if you were to walk that on foot to where Jesus was in Galilee, that's about eight hours to hike that far. Right? If you had a horse or a chariot, maybe that would get down to about two hours, two to three hours, depending on how much straight clopping you could handle before you had to get off and take a rest. Second, he was a royal official, which means he was probably a Jewish aristocrat. That's, that's the people who got into those positions, which means he was wealthy. So he probably didn't walk. It probably wasn't an eight hour trip for him. But because he was an aristocrat, odds are, that he was probably a Sadducee, right? And those were one of the two main groups of the religious leaders. There were Pharisees and there were Sadducees. The Pharisees were very religious, right? Kept the law meticulously, always made sure everybody else was on it. They believed that God was involved in the intimate details of your life and intervened often in your life. And they believed that there was a resurrection from the dead, that after you died, eventually you would be resurrected into whatever came next. Now the Sadducees, they were very different. They were a little more um, intellectual, not to say that intellectual and religious can't go together, don't say that. But they were more intellectual and deterministic, right? They believed that we were here for the pleasure of God and that everything about our life was determined, right? Every aspect of your life is set. You're just kind of going through it on autopilot, experiencing it. And you didn't bother asking God for things because everything was set. It would be be senseless to spend time asking God for things. But today, all of that, all of those theological differences and the two groups, that all gets brushed aside for this guy. And why does it get brushed aside? Because like all of us, he's selfish. All of a sudden there was a tragedy that was hitting him personally. And all of a sudden, the intellectual and theological positions that he held that God wouldn't intervene on his behalf, all of a sudden that didn't matter as much because now it was for his son, not just someone's son, right? And so that all gets set aside. When this man, verse 47 tells us, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him come to heal his son who was close to death. Now this is important because this was a wealthy man. He had servants. He did not send a servant to fetch Jesus, right? He made the choice to leave his dying son and make the journey himself, knowing that his son may die while he's gone. And so he leaves thinking it may be the last time that he ever sees his son based on nothing, but the stories. That he heard, right? And the verb tense in this verse kind of indicates, um, kind of indicates that, that Jesus, um, that it wasn't a dignified request that he made to Jesus. It wasn't a, hey, I've heard the things that you've done. Please come and heal my son. No, he was begging. He was probably in the dirt, face down. I've heard these stories. You have got to intervene on my son's behalf. Forget status, forget dignity, forget position, forget theology, forget worldview. My son is dying. Can you please do something? And some of you have been there in life. You've been in a position where things were going on and you have prayed prayers of desperation that you didn't care what it looked like. You didn't care who saw it, who heard it. Like things were desperate enough that you put up that type of prayer. And what Jesus says next to this guy, it seems on the surface, it seems to be really insensitive, but it's really only because of the English translation and the, you know, going from one language to another. But Jesus says something, not just to the nobleman that's standing there, but to the whole entourage that was with him. Because remember, this guy was wealthy. He brought people. He didn't go unprotected. He had soldiers probably to protect him the whole way. And to the whole crowd that was gathered watching, he, he says something to all of them. He says this, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. And it kind of sounds like an indictment, like he's being angry, like you people, you'll only believe with this. But that, that's not really what it, he was just stating something that was true but unless there's something that stands out that convinces you, you're not going to believe the things that I'm saying about myself, right? Because Jesus's claims as his ministry went on, just got more and more and more outrageous, right? More difficult to buy into and not be like, "Uh, I think this guy's starting to go over the edge. Right, So why should they take him serious? And Jesus knew this. That's why he made that statement. That was the point of the miracles that Jesus was performing. It wasn't just to help people. I mean, I'm sure he enjoyed helping people, but he knew that people would have to see something that would convince them to believe. So he gives them the sign they're looking for. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Sir, 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 he says, I know I know that in this society and the ranks are, I know I'm above you. But at this moment, you're above me because you can do something that I cannot do. You are above me. Those who had traveled with him, who he was the big boss and they're there to protect him, they were probably a little embarrassed for him as he was groveling before Jesus, trying to get him to come right? But he said, I don't care. I place myself under your authority. But what's interesting is that he is so confident that if Jesus were to just come back with him and to his house, he was so confident that if he could get that to happen, that his son would be okay. And why did he think this? Not because of anything he'd seen, because of stories, things he had heard. Now, in his mind, there were two options as he made this request. The first option is, okay, Jesus comes with me, right? Or the second option is he doesn't, right? And if Jesus comes with me, my son lives. And if Jesus doesn't, my son dies. Those are the two options. And Jesus, I imagine kind of just smiled, right? Because Jesus knew there was a third option, He knew there was another way. And Jesus asked him to do what Jesus has been asking all of us to do ever since. Jesus asked this nobleman to trust him based on the testimony of other people. Based on the testimony of other people. He asked him to trust his son's life based on stories he had heard. Crazy stories turning water into wine stories, healing people who couldn't walk stories, like unbelievable stories. Jesus says, you need to put your faith in me based on those. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. I mean, can you, can you imagine, right? If I were that guy, I'd have been like, wait, 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 I've come all this way and I just embarrassed myself groveling before you and you want me to go home without you, right? If I go home without you, Jesus, there may be two deaths, my son, and then my wife will kill me as I did not bring you back to save our son. And I can only imagine what went through his head. Perhaps he glances over at his bodyguards. Perhaps there's even a moment where he contemplates just telling his soldiers to grab Jesus and throw him in the back of the chariot and we're taking this guy to my son. I'm sure that would have crossed my mind had I been standing there and it was my son who was near death. Who knows? But I do know this. This is where all of us, this is where all of us live our life. And this is why, we, why, why this story and why the scriptures are so brilliant right? Because these aren't just random acts of kindness, these miracles. This is Jesus illuminating the path that we walk, that people have walked for 2,000 years since these events took place. This is the story of our entire lifetimes packed down into one day and a singular event. We're asked to take Jesus at his word based on the word of other people. I mean, honestly, that's what our faith boils down to right? We're asked to trust our lives. We're asked to trust our future. We're asked to trust our finances. We're asked to trust our family and the people that we care about. Like we're asked to trust all of that to Jesus based on the words of the guys who saw what happened and they wrote it down for us to read for the next 2,000 years. That's what Jesus has asked. And as I've said earlier, we have seen people who carry with them unanswered prayers, who carry with them burdens that will not go away, right? Sickness that will never be healed. Financial situations that aren't going to turn around no matter how hard they grab their bootstraps and pull, right? We, we see people who, who carry the weight of spouses who are not gonna return home, of children who have <laughs> disowned them and turned their back on them and everything that they were taught. Right, We, we see p- parents who carry the burden of having parents who act more like children and apply burdens to the rest of the family. Yet within them, so many times, we see those same people with peace and with confidence. And it's illuminating and it's inspiring. And for those of you who follow Jesus and continue to be faithful in the face of unanswered prayers, who continue to be faithful when your prayers feel like they're just ridiculous words that are doing nothing but bouncing off of the ceiling, right? Do you know who is watching you in those moments? No, you have no idea. You have no idea who's watching the way you handle yourself when you have those uncertainties and those burdens that you're carrying that will never be done. Do you know what God is doing in the lives of the people around you that are watching you while that's going on? No, you have no idea what God's doing in their life, right? Do you know who in a day or a month or a year from now because of the example that you set when you're in the middle of these circumstances are going to say that is so appealing to be able to have that kind of confidence in life in the midst of these circumstances. I want what they have and turn towards Jesus. No, you've got no idea who around you is close to making that decision. That's why this whole thing is like our life condensed into a day. So this royal official who's just kind of stunned that Jesus is like, eh, just go back. You're good. He's kind of looking, he's like, no, 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 Jesus, you're coming or you're not. Jesus says, no, you're going home without me. Don't worry. And then the guy exhales, I think, as I imagine the story. And he makes a decision that people have been making for 2,000 years. He decided to believe Jesus. And he decided to act as if what Jesus said was true. He acted whether he really believed it or not in his deep down in, he acted as if when Jesus said, it's gonna be okay, your son is healed, go home. He acted as if that were true with zero evidence that it was. The text says this, The man took Jesus at his word and departed. He believed. And then the important step, he behaved as if what Jesus said could be trusted. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? He walked away from the only person who had the ability to keep his son from dying because he decided to trust. And he walked home by faith Not by sight. This is the story of so many people. It finishes up this way. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that this boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And I imagine a chill ran down his spine. If it had been me and that happened, probably my eyes would have just started watering. Watering understanding the significance of that time period. Because the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And I can only imagine as his servants probably had met him far on the outskirts to give him the news as far as possible. He kind of gave his horse an extra kick and was like, I gotta, get, I gotta get home and see my son. Like, this is absolutely amazing as fast as possible. And then here's his wife probably greeting him at the door. Like something miraculous happened. And she's telling him this amazing story of how he just got better. And the guy's not looking surprised at all. <laughs> she looks and she asks, where's the rabbi that you went to get, right? And then he tells her the story. And then it finishes with this. So he and his whole household believed. <laughs> to which I'm like, well, of course they did, <laughs> right? Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't at that time? Because seeing is believing, right? Even if you have to wait to see, now, a minute ago, I used a really churchy phrase. And some of you who are church people might've caught it and not might've not even noticed it because you're so used to it. Some of you who might not be church, is grown up in church, um, you're probably like, wait, what? Right, that was when I said he, he, he went home by faith, not by sight. That's a real churchy, it's a real churchy phrase there. Um, but walking by faith is walking as if you believe something to be true, right? It's not walking by hope. There's a difference between hope and faith. Hope is not informed. You're just hoping it happens. Faith is somebody told you it was gonna happen. And so you have faith, right? And so that's what this is. It's not just wishful thinking. Walking by faith is living your life, having faith in the things that Jesus said, Being true. Even if immediately around you, you can't point to any evidence of it. That's what living and walking by faith is. It's behaving as if you really believe God is your heavenly father. To walk by faith is to believe that your sins are really forgiven. Right? You don't have to confess your sins over and over and over and over again because Christ took care of those sins on the cross. You don't have to to pay God back, right? God isn't looking to be paid back because that was the significance of the death of Christ. Living life by faith is living life um, as if, and this may be maybe the hardest for some of you, is if you are really unconditionally loved. That's a hard one for people to accept. But listen, the reason that Christianity changed the world the way that it did, the reason that so many people came is not because everybody got their prayers answered. In fact, really the opposite happened. (laughs) All of the disciples killed for their faith. Like that's the opposite of answering prayers, right? That's the opposite of God protecting right? Prayers being answered and life being good for the people who believed in Jesus is not why Christianity spread. What changed the world was this. Jesus said, he's sitting around with his disciples and he's getting ready to leave. And Jesus said, hey, I'm leaving. And Peter being Peter says, hey, I'm going to go with you. And Jesus says, no, (laughs) you're not. I'm leaving. He says, but listen, by this one thing, the whole world will believe. And they're like, okay, well, what's the one thing? He says, the way that you treat one another. The way you treat, the worse things are for you, the brighter your light will shine. Right? And, and, and Jesus probably looked at him and he didn't, I doubt he went into this much detail, but he probably said, listen, I'm sorry, but I'm not gonna answer all your prayers. There are gonna be times you really want me to bail you out and it's not going to happen, but you are still to love everyone around you the way that I have loved you. And that is what changed the world. Right? And that's what changes a marriage. And that's what changes a city. And that's what changes a culture. Not answered prayers. To walk by faith is to live with the confidence that God is who he said he was as revealed by the person of Jesus. Because one day, Philip, as he was going through this, he got so frustrated He got so frustrated with Jesus and the things Jesus would say and the way he would say it. And they didn't understand what he was talking about all the time that one time he was just like, okay, 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 okay. Look, stop, Jesus. Just stop talking. Okay, this is all over my head. I'm not getting it. Will you please just show us God? Show us the Father. Jesus looked at him and he said, if you have seen me, you have seen God. You have seen God. And if you wanna know what God's like, pay attention to me. It is living and walking by faith that causes people to look at you and pause and something inside of them, whether they're able to put words to it or not, realizes that through the way you have behaved in your circumstances, through faith, not with evidence that everything is gonna be okay, through that they have looked at you and they have seen God. And that is what changes people. Not answered prayer, not answered prayer. It's living and walking by faith. It causes the people around you to pause and wonder. And that's how it's been since the beginning. After the resurrection, Jesus is talking to his guys and he he says, he says, blessed are you because you have believed, but you believed because you have seen me. And he says, but even more blessed are those who believe who have not seen which is you and I. And this sign that Jesus gave them that that he was who he claimed to be, this was more than just something nice for the royal servant and the kid who was dying. It was Jesus knowing where we live and knowing that we would face the same decision that this official faced. Am I going to trust in Jesus and have faith even when my circumstances give me no reason to. And when we make the decision to walk by faith in those circumstances, that is how we change the world around us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you for the preservation of just these amazing writings that offer so much insight and having been thousands of years old are somehow so extraordinarily relevant to our lives lord let us as we go out of here today and as we live through our week this week father let this idea be on our mind do i live as though i believe even when there is no evidence to believe in. Because when we are able to do that, Lord, is when we have the ability to turn those around us in your direction. And Lord, I want us to be individuals and I want us to be a church that people are able to look at us in the way that we live our lives in the midst of both good and bad circumstances. And when they see us, they see a piece of you. Let us live in that way. In your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out for our first week back indoors. I hope you all have a great week. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next Sunday as we do it all again.